Welcome to episode 177 of the Women of the Military podcast. This week, my guest is Kara Taylor. Kara served in the Air Force for 13 years as a licensed clinical social worker, and today she continues to serve in the reserves. She found the Air Force while looking for a job. Even though she was a licensed clinical social worker, she struggled to find a job because of her lack of experience, and it was when she was on a monster website that she found the job for serving in the Air Force and said, why not? The job gave her the experience that she needed, and she enjoyed her career in the military, but she's decided to transition so that she could do something new, and she is currently building her business, Kara Taylor Coaching, which you can learn more about in the show notes. So let's hear more about her experience in the Air Force after a brief word from our sponsor. Women of the Military podcast would like to thank Sabio Coding Bootcamp for sponsoring this week's episode. Sabio Coding Bootcamp is a top-ranked coding bootcamp that is 100% dedicated to helping smart and highly motivated individuals become exceptional software engineers. Visit their website at www.sabio.la to learn how you may be able to use your GI Bill of Benefits to train at Sabio. Your tuition and monthly BAH stipend may be paid during your training period. They are also 100% committed in helping you find your first job in tech. So don't forget to head over to www.sabio.la to learn more. And one last thing before we get started, for the month of March, I've decided to run a giveaway and I'm giving away three copies of my book, Women of the Military. If you would like a signed copy of Women of the Military, all you have to do is either share the podcast on social media and make sure to tag me or you can leave a review on your favorite podcast app and make sure you send it to me either on social media or to my email at airmentomom at gmail.com. So if you would like to win a copy of Women of the Military, make sure to share the podcast or leave us a review. And now let's get started with this week's episode. Welcome to the show, Kara. I'm excited to have you here. I'm excited to be here. Thanks for inviting me. So let's start with why did you decide to join the military? I had the uh, traditional answer that a lot of people will give you, you know, that you want to serve your country. But going beyond that, I would say that I was at a place in my career where it was a dead end. It wasn't going anywhere. I didn't have a lot of room for career progression. And I had applied for other jobs. And they told me I didn't have enough experience, which is a classic thing. If you don't have enough experience, well, how do you get experience? And just on another side note, I didn't have a good love life going on at the time. And so one day I got an email from monster.com and it was a job for a licensed clinical social worker in the Air Force. So I just sort of took that as my sign that this was something that was meant to be. I was at a place in my life where nothing was really happening and I went for it. So you weren't really looking for the military. The military kind of found you. (laughs) Yes, the military did find me, which is funny. And I don't have, um, my grandpa served in um, the Army Air Corps, but I didn't know him very well. So I don't have a strong military background. So for sure, it found me. And you said it was kind of like fate. You saw it and you were like, oh, I should do this. Were you nervous about joining the military or were you more excited 
I was a little bit excited, also nervous because the PT standards <laughs> were very intimidating to me. I wasn't really what you would call a fit individual. I didn't do a lot of exercising or sports, so I was most intimidated by the run. And, and also I had a lack of understanding of what the requirements were. So if I saw like the max, I thought like, oh, I'm going to have to do the max to make it work. So that's what I was most nervous about. That makes sense. Those charges don't really make sense unless you understand them. (laughs) Right. I had no idea how to interpret them, but I tried to interpret them on my own. So did you just apply to the job? How did the process work that you joined the military? Yeah, I'm trying to remember exactly how it happened. I know I saw the thing on Monster and maybe I went to the Air Force website and got in contact with a recruiter. I I mean, I definitely did that. I just don't remember if there was a step in between. I think I filled out something that, you know, I asked for more information and then the recruiter contacted me from there. And then did you join as an officer or enlist? I was an officer. And so did you go to OTS or was there a specialized training program? Yeah, so I was a part of COT for commissioned officer training. So at the time, it was five weeks long. And is it a mix of people with like different ranks based on like their specialty? I remember I was at Maxwell and I was going through the second lieutenant school and there was like captains saluting lieutenants and they're like, oh, they're the COT people. They don't know what they're doing. Yeah, you stick out like a sore thumb when you're in COT because you're doing all the wrong things. But yeah, there were different ranks based on uh, your experience that you brought into the military. I'm a social worker, so most of us came in as first lieutenants, but that's not a hard, fast rule based on how much experience you had on the outside. Psychologists, because they had their doctorate, um, they all came in as captains. So that would be another example. I know there was a guy that was in our training class, and he promoted to lieutenant colonel while we were at COT. That's crazy. Yeah. Can you imagine going into the Air Force with no experience and then being expected to lead, you know, at a lieutenant colonel level? Yeah, that's so interesting. Yeah, I knew about captains. I didn't know that they went all the way up to lieutenant colonel. That's crazy. So was COT the boot camp experience or was it more laid back where they like, didn't yell at you or did they yell at you? I don't really know about that side of it. Yeah. You know, if you ask somebody who went to basic training, um, they probably would not say that that was any kind of boot camp, but it would be the equivalent of what an officer in COT would experience. Uh, Definitely got yelled at by the TIs. I was scared of them. (laughs) Their little boots clicking on the ground was really a terrifying sound to me. (laughs) But I remember we got a book and it was in our little flight. And I remember reading in it, somebody had put like, don't worry, like this too will pass. So, you know, by the end, it felt a lot better than what it did when we first started. Yeah. And it was a lot of information because it was only five weeks. And then after that, you guys went off even Air Force basic training in six weeks or maybe seven. OTS was like 12 weeks. So like that's a short amount of time to learn all that you need to learn to go into the military. Yeah. And you know, funny story, I get to my first base and I'm like walking around with my hands cupped, like, good morning, ma'am. Good morning, sir. To like everybody I saw. So a lot of people just looked at me like I was weird. Like, what are you doing? And I know it's also a joke when you're in a parking lot and you see, you know, a lieutenant, whether it's first or second, you know, trying to dodge the enlisted people so you don't have to salute them. (laughs) 
they're like, we can, so a list of people would tell me they would like purposely like try to find lieutenants to like make them uncomfortable. So it's not worth it. Don't try and dodge people. It's just something that you have to get used to, but it's really like awkward. Yeah, because you're not used to it in the civilian world. (laughs) And for me, I did ROTC for four years before I was like actually in the military. So it was like, I did it every Thursday was the day that we like wore uniforms, but it was only one day a week and it wasn't on a base. And so when I went into the military, it was just kind of something normal because it's something that we had been doing in a different way, but it wasn't like so foreign. It's like something like five weeks ago, I was just a civilian and now I'm in the military. Right. Yeah. It's kind of a crazy experience when you think about it. Where was your first job and what were you doing? So I mentioned earlier, I'm a licensed clinical social worker. So my first duty station was at Keesler Air Force Base in Biloxi, Mississippi. And I started off in the family advocacy program running that. So again, I didn't really have any military experience, but I'm going to be thrown right into that leadership role. Family advocacy works with child abuse and domestic violence. So that's what I did my first year there. And then I transitioned over to the ADAP program, which stands for Alcohol and Drug Abuse Prevention and Treatment Program. So most common, um, we would see people who had gotten into some kind of trouble, some kind of alcohol-related incident, and then we would provide them, in most cases, education, but some people who met criteria for an alcohol use disorder, we gave them treatment. Is that the standard job of an Air Force social worker? Yeah, a lot of us will go into family advocacy. That's a very common place for social workers to go. Other places would be the ADAP program or you work in the mental health clinic. Sometimes you get to be the element chief of the mental health clinic. And if you're at a big enough base, you may just get to do some therapy for a while and not have all those leadership responsibilities. So it depends on the base and the size of the base. And Absolutely. So you were looking for experience. Did you find anything else in the military that you weren't expecting to find? Like you were, you said that you were looking for jobs, but you didn't have experience. And so the Air Force gave you the opportunity to gain that experience. But was there anything else from the military that you gained? Yeah, the first few years, you know, were I think some of my best years just because I was younger and I was in a relationship, but I wasn't married. I didn't have children. So I do feel like it was a different experience than when I got married and became a mother. One of the biggest things that I learned was the importance of networking and getting involved. So the CGOC or Company Grade Officer Council, I knew it was important to kind of get involved with that, get to know other officers outside of the medical group. It can be a kind of lonely world at times. So that was really nice. I got to do a lot of volunteer projects. Our vice commander really took us under his wing. We did a book club and it was just a really amazing experience to get to see another part of the Air Force that I wasn't used to seeing. Yeah, that's a really good thing to talk about because when you can stay in your unit and be like very narrow, but you also have the opportunity to network with all these other people. It doesn't matter if you're enlisted or an officer, you can still network with all these other people and hear about their experiences and learn about the different things going on. And then you don't know what those opportunities could bring in the future. I think that's one of the best parts about the military is the network that you 
can create while you're in the service. And then once you leave the service, if you say, I'm a veteran, and that has its own special network and camaraderie that I don't think you can have in just like the civilian world. Yeah. And honestly, since I've uh, separated, it's probably the one of the things I miss the most. For sure, I have my military network and family. And once they're family, they're always family. And I am now getting more connected with the veteran community. But I do miss that sense of camaraderie that you experience when you're on a base. Yeah, for sure. Let's talk more about your career. You said that you got married. How many years were you in before you got married? Three years. We were dating the whole time, but we didn't get married for three years. And um, then not long after we got married, a few months later, we PCS to Germany. So that was a fun experience for a new married couple to get to go to another country. We had a lot of fun. Was he in the military or was he a civilian? He is a civilian. So that is definitely something for women out there that are listening. I think it's worth talking about because every time I go places, people always assume like if I'm like, oh, do you give a military discount? They like look at my husband automatically. Even if he's like in a full fledged beard, they're like, are you the military member? And they're like, oh, I didn't know that it was you. So that's something that you're going to have to kind of get used to if it happens to be that you're the one um, serving in the military. And it's hard for men, I think, to follow women around. It's just not traditionally what you see in the military. And so did you meet your husband? You said you're at Keesler. Correct. Did you guys meet there? Yeah. So that's a funny story too. So remember me telling you my love life was non-existent. (laughs) I applied for the Air Force and maybe three weeks later, I went to a New Year's party and that is where I met my now husband. So pretty much from the get-go of our relationship, I was like, if you want to date me, I'm joining the Air Force and I'm going to move. And you know, and he's like, okay, we'll just see where you get. And we're from Pennsylvania. So then I was like, okay, I got my first base. It's Biloxi, Mississippi. And I was thinking, oh, that, that it was nice knowing you, <laughs> you know, but he decided to uh, move down with me after I got established there. Oh, that's really cool. I love that. So you guys met at New Year's party and then you're like, I'm moving to Mississippi. And he's like, okay. Exactly. I mean, I didn't think, you know, based on my dating history, I was like, there is no way this is going to work out or last. You know, I'm moving across the country. And sure enough, he uh, decided to go with me. So it, it is a special story. You got married around the three year point and then you PCS to Germany. What was that experience like? I mean, besides that, you said it was fun. You got to travel, you got to see stuff. But he probably had a hard time finding a job. What was that experience like for him? And You know, honestly, he struggled with finding a job every single assignment that we were at, whether we were stateside or cross country, it typically would take up to a year for him to be able to find something sometimes less, but that's it wasn't uncommon for it to take that long. In Germany, he ended up getting a job at outdoor recreation, which really fit his personality. So he got to go on ski trips and scuba diving and he had a lot of fun in that job. So even though there aren't tons of jobs, you can certainly find one. You just have to be patient. Yeah, that sounds like a lot of fun. It was. And did you guys get to travel together since he was doing that job? 
I went on at least one trip with him that I can remember. We went to Austria snow skiing, um, and that was a lot of fun. I also, during part of the time, was pregnant. So there were some trips that I was not able to go on with him, but I was okay with that. (laughs) And so what was your job when you were in Germany? So same thing. I ended up um, starting in the ADAPT program that I mentioned before. I transitioned over to family advocacy about two years later. I did that for about a year. And then I ended up in the mental health element um, as the element chief for my last year. And you mentioned that you were pregnant. Did you have the baby while you were still in Germany? Yes, I did. That was a really interesting experience to get pregnant in Germany. And um, I actually did deliver in a German hospital and the doctor was absolutely amazing. They think of pregnancy and maternity leave way different than what we think of in the States. So it was really a wonderful experience. And I'm really grateful that I that was my first experience as a mother. Yeah, I've heard really good things about women who've had babies in Germany and just about the whole experience being so different than America and being a positive one. Yeah, absolutely. I I am very, very grateful for it. What was it like to go back to work and to be a mom? <laughs> Challenging. At the time, we only got the six weeks of maternity leave versus my daughter. I got the 12 weeks. So definitely a different experience. I didn't feel ready. It was hard to leave him for the first time. Every mother can relate to that. And there are challenges, I would say, associated with being a new mom. You're expected to kind of pick back up and perform where you left off. But then you have things like breastfeeding, for example, I had to pump. So um, I had to figure that out how I was going to incorporate that. And there was actually one time not long after I went back to work that a TDY came up uh, training, and I was going to go and then I found out that there wasn't any ability for me to pump or save my milk. And my son had not ever had any kind of formula. And it was it was one of those last minute trainings. So I didn't have an opportunity to even, you know, get him used to that. And I caught a lot of slack. My my flight commander was very supportive of me, but my squadron commander, not so much. She was not happy and told me as much as the Air Force supports breastfeeding, they really don't. So I had a lot of guilt about that, you know, so that was probably one of my biggest challenges as a new mother. Was that TDY within the first six months of being a new mom? Yes, <laughs> I believe. I believe it was in the first couple of months. Like I hadn't been back to work maybe more than a month or so when that opportunity came up. That kind of shows because when you had your son, there was a six month window. Now it's 12 months, but there's this window and like you feel like protected. Oh, I'm not supposed to be separated from my child. But then when you make that choice to like do what's best for your family, you can get a lot of pushback and like really negative things said to you. Like, yeah, the Air Force says they support breastfeeding moms, but they really don't. And you're like, what am I supposed to do with that? Right, exactly. And I honestly know that I was treated differently after that conversation happened. You know, I I knew that she was upset the second I got pulled into her office. And she just did not treat me the same after that happened. 
which is really sad. And I think it really highlights the challenges that moms have in the military because you could have made the choice to put your career first instead of your son and gone on that TDY, but you shouldn't have to do that. And then you shouldn't be penalized for making the choice that you picked your family, especially when there's laws written that say that you're not supposed to be separated from your, like, it's your choice to not be separated. Yes, I was very disheartened by that whole situation. But, you know, I did, you know, fortunately move past it. That's the great thing about being in the military is eventually everyone gets PCS'd out. So you don't have to stay around around leaders for very long if if they aren't a good leader. I'll just leave it at that. <laughs> yeah, that's a great way to look at it. And another important thing to remember about the military is your boss isn't going to be your boss forever because either they're going to move or you're going to move and hopefully you'll get someone better. Absolutely. <laughs> so did anything else happen in Germany before you came back to the States that you want to talk about? No, I don't think so. I, I just will continue to say it was an amazing experience. I hear some people go to Germany and they say there's nothing to do here. And my advice if you get stationed overseas is to really just make the most of any assignment that you're at. I also hear that about a lot of other bases that a lot of people would love to be at, you know, so it is what you make of it. And if you're in the country, you in normal times, I guess, you know, when you're allowed to travel, make the most of it and just really have a great time because it's an amazing opportunity. Yeah, COVID makes it harder. (laughs) Right. That's why I started backed up like, oh, wait a minute, we're in a pandemic. Yeah, I think it's true. It is what you make of it. And we have been in Virginia for four years. And some of it's been hard because we been in a pandemic and we haven't got to travel like we wanted. But we have got to do a lot of things and we've made the most of it. And now we're moving across the country and planning a big giant road trip. So it should be quite the experience. But we're trying to take advantage of the opportunities the military gives us. And Yeah, absolutely. I mean, even the pandemic, you can find opportunities within that to, you know, come together or spend more time as a family or what have you. So when you left Germany, where did you go after that? My next assignment was at McConnell Air Force Base in Wichita, Kansas. So (laughs) I wasn't super excited to go to Kansas, but, you know, no one's going to feel sorry for the girl that just uh, was in Germany. So I was there for three years and I was the mental health flight commander. So all those elements I mentioned before, the flight commander is the leader of those. And um, so, yeah, it was an interesting time. I had my daughter there. So that was the best. Best thing I can say about the assignment. And then there were a lot of not so great things. Do you want to talk about any of the not so great things? One of the things I'll say is just, you know, it was a high ops base. And from a mental health perspective, because, you know, the maintainers were working so hard, you know, work hard, play hard. We were very busy in the mental health flight, and we did not have as much resources as would be helpful to help the needs of that base. So yeah, there were a lot of need for the services, and then you guys didn't have the resources, so it made it really hard. Yeah, you know, you have a lot of people, you know, with child abuse, domestic violence, alcohol incidents, suicidal ideation... And there's expectations of how often you have to see them. And when you have really high caseloads, you know, it is very stressful. And especially with the added fact that you became a mom. So you had 
that going on as well as all the other challenges. Yeah. So not only did I become a mom, but my child, my pregnancy um, had a complication and I ended up getting hospitalized for nine and a half weeks before I had my daughter. So, you know, no one's thrilled to lose a, you know, their flight commander for, you know, not only the 12 weeks of maternity leave, but the nine and a half weeks before that. So that had some additional challenges that were associated with it. But on the bright side, I had insurance that paid for the entire thing. I didn't have to worry about my paycheck. And, you know, the hospital took really good care of me. And, you know, fortunately, I came out of it with a beautiful daughter on the other side. So there is um, the, the blessing in that story. Yeah. I love that you're always like the glass half full. <laughs> it's taken a lot of work, Amanda. I just really like it. It's really encouraging. And it is true. The insurance, the health insurance, it's not always the best health insurance, but you do have that peace of mind that everything's paid for and you don't have to worry about. I got asked to do something that was about health insurance and I was like, yeah, I can't relate to this because I don't have to worry about these things because the military pays for everything. Yeah, it is definitely different once you get on the outside and then you're trying to navigate those things. And, you know, I could talk about that at a later time. But yeah, there's definitely some challenges there that you're not used to when you're in the military. If you need to be seen, you just go be seen. There's not a lot of hemming and hawing, right? You just go to the clinic. It's true. So was that your last assignment or did you guys move again? I had one more move. So I then PCS to the Air Force Academy and I got to work with the cadets. So it was definitely a different experience than any of the other experiences leading up to that. So we had a counseling center called the Peak Performance Center. So if you want to think of it equivalent to a college counseling center and There was a lot of great things with it. And then, you know, a lot of challenges as well, right? Because now you're in an environment that is very political. And so I just wasn't used to that kind of environment until I got to the academy. Yeah, that sounds really interesting. And what was it like to go from working with like service members to cadets? Because I feel like cadets are really young, but I guess service members are really young too. But it's a different mindset of like doing the Air Force mission and like training to be in the Air Force. So what was that? How was that different? You know, the age range wasn't that different for me, meaning a lot of the airmen that we saw in mental health clinics did tend to be between the ages of 18 to 22. However, we also saw everybody else. So at the academy, the difference is that's all I saw were cadets. So if a, you know, AOC or AMT or somebody else that worked in the cadet wing wanted to be seen, they would have to actually go to the medical group where we only saw cadets. Cadet challenges are not, you know, some of them are very similar to what an airman with a capital A might experience. And then some are just very unique to the academy. There's a lot of great opportunities there. And, you know, one of the greatest opportunities that I had was we decided to embed into the dorms. So we were physically located in the dorms, but we had an office and they had to come to us. So before I moved the last year, we actually moved into the different dorms and we were located throughout the campus so that we were more 
accessible and kind of breaking down the stigma. So, you know, it was not uncommon for me to see a cadet walking down the hall in their bathrobe from, you know, the shower. And then, you know, then you had that awkward exchange of like, hey, (laughs) I saw you in my office the other day for a therapy. (laughs) So you guys moved into the dorms to make it so that they didn't have to like walk across campus and everyone, not everyone, but people could see instead it was like in the dorms and it's a lot less more less likely that people will see and make it more accessible because they could just pop in and go talk to you guys. Yeah. So our original office was in one of the dorms, but we were all in one place. So they still had to walk to us and it was a little bit more inconvenient. And so when we moved, we had instead of the one office where we're all together, we had four different offices and we were in both dorms. And the idea, like, even though it may sound silly to say walking from the fifth floor to the second floor, there would be people who wouldn't do it because it was from the fifth floor to the second floor. But, you know, my office, they had a lot of them had to pass my office every day once we moved to go to class. And it was really cool. I got to bring my dog to work. And that was a big incentive. I don't know if that's the right word I'm looking for, but people would come into my office just to talk to me about my dog. And that opened up rapport that I wouldn't have had had I not had her there. Yeah, that sounds really cool. And such a big impact. It seems like something small, but I could see how that has such a big impact on making it more accessible and just making it more normal just to go in. Like if you're going in there to talk to the dog and then they just go in to talk to you about it. It's like that nobody knows because you're right there on the path. Yeah. And it was interesting because we gave cadets the option, like, do you want the door open or shut? And you would be surprised how many of them were like, you can leave it open. That was really cool so that they were comfortable having people see that they were in our office talking about something. I mean, sure, some people wanted to shut it and for more sensitive topics, but that was really cool as well to see breaking down some of that stigma. Yeah, that's really cool. Well, you know, my passion is helping women join the military. So I'm like, oh, cadets, that sounds so exciting. Yes, yes. I I had a lot of fun there. I mean, for sure, there were some challenges. And then the pandemic, I was there when that happened. So that was a really interesting time for us. And we did have two deaths right after the pandemic started. So that added to a lot of stress. But overall, it was a wonderful experience to have. And you separated from there. And so... Was that like in the height of the pandemic when you separated? Yeah, I had been thinking about it for a while. I actually kind of went on this journey of self-discovery while I was in Colorado, where if you don't mind me sharing, I saw this post on Facebook from two of my military friends who had paid for a car in cash. And I was amazed. I was like, oh, how do they do that without debt? How do you have a you know, I just couldn't imagine that. So I started asking questions and what did you do? And then I discovered Dave Ramsey. And from there, I decided I wanted to help other people with their finances. So on the side, I was going to be a financial coach. So to do that, I hired my own coach to help me build my business, not realizing, Amanda, that the focus was going to be on me. So I actually learned from that experience, I actually still get coaching from her today, but I learned that the real root of problem with spending was how I felt about myself. And I was spending money to make myself feel better. 
And so then I was like, oh, well, now I kind of want to transition and help other women learn to love themselves. And so that's kind of the journey that I've been on. And just recently, since I've separated, I've had a lot of people asking me about my experience. And although there's a lot of great information out out there from military to veterans, I still felt like there was something lacking. And so I said, you know what, I can still help women learn to love themselves, but I also really have this calling to help veterans in that transition process. I love that. That's such a cool story of how you figured out where you were going to go. And I feel like when you go through the entrepreneur process, like sometimes you have an idea and that's what you end up doing, but sometimes you have an idea and then you have to like figure out what you actually need. Yeah. And so it was probably, to be honest, about a two and a half year process before I officially like hit the button and said, I want to separate a total of about three years of me going through that transformation process myself. But, you know, I realized that there are other people like me who might be scared to do something like that. I had, I was going on 13 years of service. So there's a lot of, I think, stigma about leaving the military after 10 years. And, but I was really passionate about wanting to help other people. And I felt like the military, I had had a really good time in the military, but it was time for me to move on. And there are no limitations to what I'm capable of getting now that I am outside. Yeah, sometimes I feel like when I was in the military, I thought, well, this is all I can do. And this is the only thing that matters. And so when I left, I was like, I'm just giving up everything to leave. And that's not true. Like the military opened so many doors and gave me so many opportunities. And I'm really grateful for that experience. But it's not the end. It's the beginning. You know, it just yes, it's the start, not the end. Absolutely. It's the start. And and that's what I want to help people do is, you know, answer that question, you know, who do I really want to be when I grow up? Because after your military career, even if you retire, you still have a whole, you know, life left to live as far as I'm concerned. And you can really get to explore, you know, where your passions are and then go for them. Yeah, that's awesome. And you have a YouTube channel. So say what it is so that people can go find it and I'll link to it in the show notes. Oh, thank you. Yeah. So if you just search for Kara Taylor Coaching, it is a new YouTube channel. I'm really excited about it. A lot of uh, learning curves out there, but you know, you have to just get started. Um, It's not going to be perfect, but hopefully at least the content is, you know, what people are looking for. And if you have any ideas, please let me know in the comments of something you would like covered because I would love to cover all the different things out there that are on your mind. I feel like we didn't cover your transition good enough. Is there anything from your transition that you want to talk about that you saw as like a challenge? It sounds like you did a lot of work leading up to the transition, but you still don't know what's coming until you actually leave. Yeah. So I, even though I was planning for what I wanted to do, I I actually initially thought about it very black and white, like either I'm in the military or I'm a full-time coach. And so my coach reminded me, Kara, 
It doesn't have to be black or white. There might be an option in the middle. And that's actually what I'm doing right now. I'm a therapist for a company called OCD Spectrum in Pittsburgh. So I work with mainly individuals diagnosed with obsessive compulsive disorder. And I mean, we treat other disorders as well, but that's the primary mode. And that's the vehicle that's allowing me to continue to explore my coaching. But I wouldn't say that I planned very well, despite what I just said earlier about like financial coaching and all of that. I wasn't prepared for all the expenses associated with being a civilian, even different tax breaks that you get that you don't even pay attention to, <laughs> just little things like that. And the other thing is moving was the most stressful thing I've probably experienced my whole military career. I guess it could probably happen when you're in too, but I actually still don't have my final travel voucher completed because our moving company that we hired wasn't cooperating. We're out like $25,000. So that is something that was incredibly stressful for our transition out. Yeah, I've heard a lot of moving stories especially lately with the pandemic and like the labor shortage of like having people and just all the challenges so that's really unfortunate and horrible because that's something that I think a lot of military families both in the military and those who are leaving the military are facing because of all the challenges around that. Yeah, you know, we decided to do it ourselves. And so, but then we hired this company. So it all came out of our pocket. And if I had to do it over again, I would just let the military, you know, hire the company to do your move. But the money that we were supposed to get, we didn't get it. It wouldn't have been worth it to me, honestly, Amanda. Um, maybe someone else would have a different story to tell, but I would just say, let the military give you that one last move and do yourself a favor and not have all that extra stress. <laughs> yeah, that makes sense. Is there anything else from your transition or your time in the military that you want to talk about before I ask my last question? Yeah, the last thing I would say on the positive side of the transition is we decided to move closer to family. So we moved back to Pennsylvania and I am 30 minutes away from my mom and sister. We're about four hours away from my husband's family. And honestly, that has been probably the biggest payoff with all the other things, just being able to see them more often. My husband's family is getting older. We hadn't seen them in like three years <laughs> until we came back. And we've already seen them like five times since we've been back, which is amazing. And my kids get to grow up with having, you know, a more active grandparent presence. So, you know, not everyone's going to choose when they separate to go back home for a number of reasons. But for us, it was definitely something that we had missed. I just wanted to highlight that for those of you that might be a little bit homesick. Yeah, we're moving back to California, which is where my family is from. And people are like, are you sure you want to go back to California? We're like, yes, we know it's expensive. We know all the things, but it's just being closer to family, especially after a pandemic where we couldn't travel home and we were across the country and not being able to see grandparents and do family things. And I think that's really important to think about when you're trying to decide where you're going to end up at the end. And it, the military, it worked out that they're sending us there. And that's where we're hoping to stay. It is something that 
is kind of a driving factor on why we wanted to move back. Yeah, I think a lot of people are going to be driven by family, Um, you know, whether it's to be closer to family or or on the other side of the country. But, you know, it's a lonely, I mean, even though you have your military family, um, I think most military members understand that most people are not going to come visit you. When we were in Germany and we would come back stateside for a visit, you know, people would expect you to travel to the other side of the state while you were home for like two weeks to go see them. That was hard. But now I'm like, I'm here. If you want to come see me, you know where I'm at. (laughs) Yeah, that's really important to think about. So my last question is, what advice would you give to a young woman who's listening and is considering joining the military? Yeah, so joining the military was a really amazing and incredible experience. And if you're considering doing it, my overall advice is to go for it. I think the younger you are, the better. Not that you can't do it with the family. Just be aware that it has its you know challenges and everything. You know, serving for sure has its rewards and just that feeling of doing something bigger than yourself. You're definitely going to experience that in the military, being able to travel not only to the different places you're assigned, but you get to go to a lot of different trainings and locations that you may not have gone to otherwise, you know, expanding your network and, you know, meeting people from all walks of life because the military isn't even just, you know, people that are United States citizens. I met people who were getting their citizenship you know, but they still weren't U.S. citizens when I met them. I'd say gaining family members whenever you go. Like I mentioned earlier, it's really cool that, you know, I could go pretty much anywhere in the United States and I'm going to know somebody in that area because of being in the military. And finally, you know, you can't underestimate having a stable paycheck. The military has, you know, I consistently got a paycheck every day, you know, every twice a month for uh, 13 years. And it pays pretty well. Like for a social worker, the pay in the military was really, really good good. Yeah, that's awesome. Thanks so much for being a guest and for sharing your story. I'm really glad we got to do this interview. And I would be remiss for not saying thank you for supporting me on Patreon. I really appreciate how you're supporting the podcast. It really means a lot. Thank you, Amanda. And if anyone needs anything, you know, has any questions, please don't hesitate to reach out. Amanda and I are both here for you. episode. If this is your first time listening to Women of the Military podcast, I encourage you to go back and listen to some of the other episodes on the podcast. There are so many episodes and stories of women who've served in the military who can inspire you at whatever stage of the journey you're in, joining, serving, leaving the military, or just learning about the women who have served in the military. If you want to support Women of the Military podcast, you can go to patreon.com slash women of the military. And if you enjoyed Women of the Military podcast, please leave a review on your favorite podcast app to help the podcast grow and reach more women who are considering military service.